Hey awesome nerds, and welcome to another episode of D&D and TV, the weekly podcast where we rewatch or recap television shows you really enjoy, and talk about how the themes, concept, and characters could be used in different role-playing games. I am your host, Jeremy, and I am joined by my co-host for this new series of D&D and TV. It's a thief who is currently feeding a small hairless cat to a rat. Well, uh, just your typical League of Legends player. Yes. What What is this League of Legends you refer to? Is it Is it a card game? It's It's a game that I haven't touched in probably close to a decade at this point. And oh wow, I wish uh, that's probably a exaggeration. But God, I just it's there. It's like a disease. You just can't cut it out. There's always a little bit. That's concerning. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's awful. It's a terrible game. <laughs> <laughs> is it really? I I know nothing about it beyond it is a game. Not the game itself, just like on a meta level, like it's you know we're getting real. real oh, okay. So it's got a fan base that is not particularly um, conducive to community. Is that is that what we're saying? I mean, it's just so unlike a gaming fan base to be toxic and just unwelcoming. It's true. It's, strange. it's the strangest thing, honestly. I think gaming fan bases, particularly when it comes to video games and role-playing games, are the most open and welcoming of any group of, of people uh, in any society anywhere. Uh, we are in agreement, sir. Excellent. I'm glad I'm we're sure in agreement. Definitely what people want to listen to. Yes, when we just agree on everything. And I can tag, I can put hashtags on um, League of Legends for all the posts for the for the um, episodes without it being, like, shunned. I'm going to get so much hate on this these apps series, aren't I? Also, there is a card game based on this world. Is there? Like should, oh, okay, great. I should, I should point that out, because I feel like you were saying mm. that as a bit. Yeah, all right, I'm sure there is. All right, um, we are talking about Arcane, the uh, Netflix series starring Hayley Steinfeld. Uh, Hard Eyes, um, a bunch of other people, including Kevin Alejandro from Lucifer and a bunch of other shows too. Um, it's about stuff. What? Okay. This show is not the video game. Is that correct? Can I say that? The t- animated TV series, quote unquote TV yes. series, is not the same as a video game. Yes. Okay. I've... All right, I see what you're doing there. It's not like that Black Mirror episode where you like choose your own adventure. How much of the game did they draw on to make this series? Like, is it about the the clash between rich and poor? The game is not a story driven game. Um, okay, but there is a lot of lore to the game and to the world. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. uh, Arcane is just like a, a small little fraction of all of that. There's a lot more. All right. So they basically said there's a huge amount of lore. What if we told a story involving that lore? Kind of. And the, the really neat thing, uh, neat thing about <laughs> Legends lore is that it's constantly changing and there is mm-hmm. no real... There is a quote-unquote official canon, but it's constantly changing and contradicting itself. Um, it sounds like it yeah, sucks. Arcane, Arcane is definitely its own thing. Okay, good. So we can just talk about Arcane, and apart from the style, maybe the aesthetics, it's not really tied to the video game at all. I mean, there are a lot of the characters from the game 
Um, and there's a lot of like minor references as like Easter eggs and things like that. Um, but beyond like the setting, I guess there's not, there are totally original characters as well. Although the main characters, the vast majority of the main characters are also main characters in the game, I guess you could say. Oh, I see. So this is going to be like, um, in cyberpunk edge runners when Adam Smasher showed up. Yeah. And he said, I'm right. going to Adam smash all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. Smash that like button. And then he warbed out and. Yes. That's, um, that's your thing it's now, isn't it? Morbing out. If you don't use that as your. <laughs> it's it's <clears> time. <throat> he turned into Craven. Oh yeah. No, no, that's just, it's derivative. It's not as good as your usual stuff. Um, don't worry. I'll cut that out. So you still sit, look cool on, sure. on the podcast. Feel free uh, to so... like for any character, just be like, are they in the game? And I'll, I'll tell you yes or no. Like, okay. Well, I, I, good. I guess I'll need to know who's this Vander guy who we see to start with. Is he in the game? He's not in the game, but there are some fan theories that he's a different character, and he may return oh, in future seasons as this character. Oh, okay, sort of cool. As sort of an evolution, you know. I see. I see. I see. Because I liked this this intro that we see with him on the bridge and um, Vi and and Powder. Like, there's no. It's just like yeah. there was a fight and their parents are dead and it's kind of almost all silent and it's it's very much backstory like to me this is how backstory should be told when you're creating an rpg character like you just have these are the things that occurred you give that to the game master and then kind of let them tweak with it and say well this is because of that well this is because of that or this fits in with my world in this way yeah, it's kind of vague enough where you don't need to to say more than that is. And I, that's the thing with animation, I guess, in general, is that it's usually yeah. very, very specific about how much time you dedicate to things. Yeah. Yeah, the I... Animation in this is just ugh, so gorgeous. It's so, it's so pretty. I can't... I honestly, there were some of the, some moments of this. I was just like, "Oh my god, look at how they're moving!" It just, I'm so gooey right now because it looks so good. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one because it really is kind of a. It leans towards like realism. There's not as much of mm. like the the kind of stretch and squish that you'll see, kind of exaggerated movements in other stuff. Um, but then, the textures are all very like painterly, um, and then there you've got like the a lot of like smoke effects and stuff like that will be like 2d animated sort of on top and yeah, it just kind of works. It just all kind of works together. Yeah. And I'm wondering maybe compare it with say, um, well, we'll use edge runners as the one that we've both talked about before where that was almost hyper extreme when it came to how everyone looked. Like they've got this massive hair and they've got these huge muscles, which is partly the cyberpunk aesthetic, but it's also that anime aesthetic. Whereas this is a little bit like, yeah, you can easily, you look like, these people look like people. Yeah. Um, but also there is like a little bit, obviously, of caricatureness yeah. to some, you know, Vanda's huge and um, it kind of... It really just walks that line, I think, of between because obviously it's a fantasy world as well, and you just you got to suspend your disbelief and 
the main characters all have brightly colored hair and ha- that has to kind of fit within the world as well in its own way. It uh, I did like that, that um, Vi's got pink hair and Powder's got blue hair and their mother dead on the bridge has got purple hair. I'm like, oh, so that's where they get it from. It's just like a natural thing that happens. Their, their hair's a different color for reasons. It's not just because they're the protagonists. Yeah, that's oh, that's how that works, right? Like whatever color yeah, if you, you have, your children have half of each of those. Yeah, that's exactly how it works. It's like on the X gene, I guess. It's like um, <laughs> one on each X gene. The X gene. It only goes through women, obviously. Yeah. Uh, that explains so much about uh, many, many, many anime and manga. Um, to tell the truth. Uh, so yeah, I can gush over how great all of this stuff is like i love the origin story i love that first heist and chase sequence i love the second chase sequence, and then that fight when they get shaken down by the other street rats that's amazing like i'm just watching when it goes into the slow-mo with powder watching them and just every punch and you can feel it hit it's like this isn't like pulling any punches but it's very much i've hit you and it's in a place you don't normally see someone get hit in live action because it will really hurt and damage them yeah you can't really do that in live action like no um and i think it's it's also like maybe not whiplash but it kind of goes back and forth between you know when you watch something animated it's really easy to just kind of like fall into the trap of like oh it's like an anime it's like a kid scene it's like friendly and Mm. happy and stuff and then you see like the blood and the violence and it kind of brings you back to like oh no 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 this is a this is a bad world i mean i think we see that in the opening moments where it's like hey look it's it's friendly and for kids and it's got like a stormtrooper stomping down the bridge and then vander just beats his skull in it's like hey maybe this isn't for kids maybe this is not um something that people should be watching and then by the end of the episode, we've very much been told that it isn't when we get, oh, Silco's introduction. That was creepy as hell. This is classic. Silco, right? The, the, yeah. Classic is it Silco? Yeah. Introduction. yeah. I like that because it had him like all in shadow and he's like all menacing. And then he just steps out of the shadows and just like, yeah, I'm here. But we don't know what he's doing or why he's doing these things. And that's, I think, more important that you get to see a villain and get scared of them but not understand their their um their plans what their nefarious schemes are yeah and it is very it is very cliche when you kind of take yeah. a step back but there's nothing wrong with that and i think it's a good example of like when you do it right that's i mean that's why cliches exist because they work and yeah and you can extrapolate from them. If you see a cliche, well, it's like, well, you kind of know what to expect. And if you get something that's very different, it feels a lot smarter. But you're already kind of knowing the course it's going to go on. Yeah. And those conventions are very useful as well because it's part of like that, you know, narrative kind of language and like visual storytelling and stuff like that that people pick up on and they're familiar with. So if you want to... Mm get a point across quickly and efficiently you know it's efficient storytelling because people know you can kind of skip over some of those like i don't need to spend a lot of time letting people know that this guy is bad right like i can just do this and that's very useful as well i would say all of this episode is like that 
that it hits those tropes. It hits all of those things. So it can really revel in the visuals of it. Well, it is, it is very, there's a lot of world building and yeah, I'm curious because, um, well, going into this, I guess just for some context as well, like with video games, if we, if we go like really big, we can talk about like video games and all the horrible adaptations that people have tried to make of video games to film. And what are you talking about? Mario movie was amazing. Everyone went and saw it. Mario movie. Oh, that's true. Um, just with, uh, <laughs> This is the first one back in the 90s, yeah. Oh, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> um, but, yeah, and there's always, you know, but oftentimes video game companies will put out these amazing, like, trailers and short films and stuff, and it's Ooh. people are always like, why can't you just do a movie? Um, and that's what this, I think this production company, like, I don't think they've made any full animated things. I think they've only done kind of, like, shorts and stuff like that beforehand. Um, and for such a big game with such a big fan base, there's a lot of pressure and expectation as well on top of that. Okay. And as we said, um, they're very welcoming and forgiving. So, um, yes, of course. Yeah. 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 So uh, they were obviously really excited to see, see this. It's friendly pressure. Yeah. Yeah. As we'd assume. Uh, um, but yeah, it's like, there are a lot of people who are expecting a lot from it i guess mm. um so i'll be interested because i'm assuming you don't know anything about i know nothing or... i know yeah. nothing is it like overwatch mm, a little bit is it like warcraft a little bit yeah <laughs> okay yeah. is it like, like dota honestly, 2 yes it's a lot more like okay that. i have no idea i know these names all those all those games together and that's pretty much league of legends <laughs> okay cool um is it like Fortnite's? no it's not like oh, actually you know maybe <laughs> maybe a little bit see I, I don't know this stuff i just figure you've got a side you pick your your crew then you fight i guess yeah yeah, that, that seems like it pretty much it. And the crews have like little bits of theme to them. Like one of them's the steampunk crew, one of them's the magic crew. Uh, if I, yeah, sure. Yeah, let's go with that. I love the way you're being coy. Like, is it <laughs> too hard to explain? Sounding, or just sounding very old, Jeremy. <laughs> I know, I love it. I love it. Um, I am, <laughs> someone's going to call me a, a boomer. MOBA. It's a MOBA. So like gameplay wise, it's, it's a very similar gameplay loop to Dota more than anything else. Okay. Uh, there's two cool. teams, five characters on a team. Each of them has their own abilities and is, you know, thematically very different. And there's a whole mm -hmm. wide roster of characters and et cetera, et cetera. Now, I will ask is it always um, PvP? Yes. Occasionally they'll have like limited time game modes and stuff like that where you can, there's like PvE events or whatever, but it's generally a, a multiplayer focused game. Yeah. Okay, and when I when you say multiplayer, is it one person controlling all five of no, your? Okay, so everyone plays one individual. Okay, that's kind of what I thought it was, yeah. and now that makes it even more interesting that they're able to adapt it into something like this, where there is a very clear single or duo set of protagonists in this. Yeah, um, um, because like secondary protagonists as well. Yeah. But it's still a, you have your main character who's kind of the hero, because I would have expected something more like a traditional role-playing game where you have a group and everyone's kind of, you know, 
their own hero. Uh, because that seems like what the game is le- like the video game leans towards because you're each part of a team. Uh, League of Legends does not lend itself to teamwork. Uh, at least the right. people, at least the people that play it don't. <laughs> this is intriguing. Okay, you know what? In the comments, come over to DND and TV Pod um, <laughs> at gmail.com. Explain League of Legends to me, please, because I'm going to go from the TV tropes uh, explanation. Uh, if if so I can't, this podcast is just going to be me ragging on League of Legends and very right. Please, anyway. yeah, go for it. That's fine. I'm glad. I'm not even going to reckon like say that as part of League of Legends. This is arcane to me. As someone who has no idea, it is literally coming out of nowhere, and it looks amazing. Yeah. Well, I guess to bring it back, yeah. Um, what what did you think of the world? Like, what is the impression you get? What are the questions you're still kind of wondering just based on that first episode? The first episode, like I talk about world building on here a lot. I didn't actually have any questions from the first one. Like the first episode, I saw that there was something going on at the start on the bridge. There was some sort of battle or revolution. And then I saw the fallout from that. I get to see that there's haves and have nots. I get to see that there's crime and it's rampant. I get to see that there's like pollution. I get to see, I got to see what the world was like, but there wasn't any questions that were raised from it. And I think those questions will come up in later episodes. But from this one, I was just willing to go, that's the world. That's just what it looks like. I was much more invested in the the characters. Yeah. I mean, honestly, the world is pretty straightforward. um, And they show you only enough of it to not be overwhelmed um and it's a nice little uh kind of music sequence where she's like going down to zorn and they're playing the song yeah. and getting like a nice montage of all the things and yeah you're seeing yeah, all these people tropes. and yeah you see what was it the little who are the small gremlin type creatures <laughs> uh they're called yordles there's like the old, uh, the yordles. The old lady yordle yeah the sex lady. worker sex worker yordle yeah it's just i felt like is this what yoda does in like spare time <laughs> or someone saw the sexy gremlin in gremlins 2 and went yep i need to make a show about them <laughs> i need to put that in another show somehow i say sexy i'm going off another podcast because it was a shit show um yeah, I really like the aesthetic of this steampunk sort of feel. Um, actually, it's technically not steampunk. It's oh, I'm sorry. What is it? Uh, well, the thing is, maybe in Arcane World, it's actually steampunk, but you wouldn't call it that. In it's technically it's hextech, and then you've got chempunk in Zorn. So, w- what is Piltover? This city that they're in is that Piltover hextech? hextech? Yeah. Which technically doesn't because, exist later in the show, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say jumping ahead isn't that like a thing that is is um is just their a different the issue? Up oh my god, what are they things. doing? Jeez. That was a question I had the next episode, but we'll get to that next week. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I I did feel like steampunk to me. It felt like the Victorian England, but with magic. Yeah, and there's elements of like a bit more kind of modernism, I think, because they have. Do they have guns? I actually can't remember. They do have guns. I saw some guns, yeah, but it they looked like guns, yeah. they looked like flintlock pistols or rifles. It didn't look like, you know, laser blasters or anything like that. But I that's what they look like. It doesn't mean that's how they operate. 
That's no, true. no, wait. There's the scene where they're they're hiding in the amusement thing and they're shooting, but that might again be in the second episode. I think that's this is the, the problem episode. with it. Yeah, curses. Uh, My is what I trying to distinguish between all the different canons and honestly, um, these these first two episodes they felt like just one piece. Yeah, they just felt like one ongoing thing. Like I mean, this it felt as like a whole is broken apart that way. This kind of like yeah, yeah. I have a feeling, I haven't watched it, so as I said, it's going to be spoiler-free for the most part, that it's going to be in three-episode chunks, in three-episode arcs. Uh, yes, that's not that's not yeah. a big spoiler, but yeah. Yeah, that feels like a good way to do this as well, because then it makes it kind of like um, Star Wars, uh, the Clone Wars did years and years ago, where you watch three episodes in a chunk. And that's essentially an hour, and you got a mini film. And this is the same. You got three 45 minute chunks, which kind of works out to be about a two hour film. Yeah. And you got the three acts then in the story. And let's get into act structure another time, because that sounds like it'd be confusing for me. So, aesthetics, I think, are going to come up a lot in this series when we're talking about. Like, how much of that actually comes into mechanics when you're planning a game? Like, do you tell people, you run a game in a League of Legends world? <laughs> you a yes, thief, the person. I should, yeah, my uh, <clears throat> my credentials. Uh, Your bona fides. I've been running a D&D campaign in the world of Runeterra for coming up on, actually, no, I think it'd be past, just past three years now. Gosh. Um not to brag, I've I've had a D and D group stay together for three years. Oh, jeez, that's that's a flex and a half, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I'm flexing right now. Uh, flex. <laughs> Every time I flex, I have to say that I'm flexing. So. Otherwise, yeah, because people won't know otherwise. Uh, yeah, people won't people won't see the muscles <laughs> otherwise. <laughs> that's right. So, all right. Um, so, is that because you really enjoy the world and the law, or? Is it just an easy shorthand of going, well, here's the world, boom, you know this because everyone plays League of Legends and you know that stuff? Um, yeah, it's a little bit of both. And I think I think the bigger idea is, like, if you're running a and d campaign, uh, I guess, like, adapting an existing setting, I think, is kind of the bigger idea. And how... I think there's two kind of ways to approach it. Um, I mm-hmm. think you can either... I mean, you kind of listed them off, yeah, but it's either you really want to explore a certain world and so you're like okay i really want to explore the world of runeterra so i'm going to play D to do that or like me uh i just really want to play D and i was like i don't want to <laughs> do just like forgotten realms uh, i don't want to homebrew a whole thing myself uh, but i kind of know about this world i kind of know a decent bit about the law so i'll use this world as a vehicle to play D D, essentially all right that's interesting because so it wasn't it was more the knowledge that you already had rather than something about the style of it that drew you to it. Yeah, but I think it was also, it was a good, there's a good amount of lore for the mm. world um, because there aren't, it's all kind of fractured and in pieces, right? There isn't just like a novel that says this happens and this happens and this happens. There's yeah. like lots of short stories. There's lots of like little character bios about the different characters um, there's lots of artwork, tons of artwork and music and, you know, things like that, which are really great for for inspiration and in coming up with stuff for a D&D campaign, but not so much stuff that feels 
restrictive, I guess. Like, oh, this is the canon. I have to do this whole thing. You know, like I have to follow this story. Yeah. And it was interesting because I, I was operating under the assumption that I would attract a lot of players that were really into Runeterra and for League of Legends and stuff. Um, but I ended up with not many, I think only one originally who had actually played League of Legends before. And that kind of grew a little bit over the, over the time. So when you were pitching the game to them, did you have to say, well, this is, did, how much detail did you go into about it to pitch the game? Did you say D&D and the world's kind of like this? Yeah, kind of. I think, I mean, one of the reasons why, again, I chose this world is that uh, I wanted it to be a big, epic, like, you know, level 1 to 20 type campaign. And I really mm. wanted, like, an open world feel where people could go to lots of different places. And uh, the world of Runeterra is very versatile in that, or very diverse. And they obviously, you know, in Arcane, for example, you've got this huge mega city, uh, all steampunky, very, like, Eberron-inspired. Yeah, um, that's what I was feeling from it. Yeah. Um, but then you've got like the frozen north of Freljord, where it's obviously very like Vikings and stuff like that, very Icewind Dales. You've got like the islands of Ionia, a very like Eastern inspired mythology and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, really, just like depending on where you go in the world, you can run a totally different campaign and essentially like, and that's what I wanted. That was kind of my my selling point as a DM. Yeah, so it's kind of like all the bits and pieces joined together. And it's like, well, we want to do a little bit more Western, so we'll go to this area and we get to experience yeah, that. Yeah, there's, there's a whole pirate city, you know, like, yeah. That makes sense. That's a, a good way of, of doing it. So I think most homebrew worlds kind of end up like that in the end anyway, because you want to have things... Well, when you're first starting out as a game master anyway, because you're like, oh, they want to do this. Oh, but such and such wants to be a pirate. Such and such wants to be a cowboy. I guess both those civilizations exist in my world now. Yeah. I think I think especially for a longer a longer campaign where it's easy to kind of get bored of the same setting for too long. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, it's just fun to, to th- mix it up without having to start an entire new game for it. Yeah, absolutely. I find it interesting because I've been looking into Blades in the Dark. Um and a lot of this game, this episode in particular, felt like a Blades in the Dark game to me because of the heist aspect. I know one of the most famous things about Blades in the Dark is the flashback mechanic, which isn't in this, but all of the other ones, particularly when they're going into the heist from the very start, felt like they're just using the the style of Blades in the Dark for it because that's very much, you don't so much roll, you don't even set up the plan, you're just there, you're just doing stuff. And it's like, okay, cool. How do you do that? Oh, well, you succeeded, but there's a little bit of failure in there too. Like nothing ever yeah, goes, yeah. nothing ever goes smooth in a heist, and that's kind of how it feels in this. Nothing ever goes smooth. And uh, absolutely, yeah. One of the ways that a lot of the Forge in the Dark system, because there's a few others besides Blade in the Dark, talk about describing it and I can't remember which book it's in, unfortunately, of trying to convince people to come over from other systems is where they're they're talking about it, is saying, you don't tell what system you're playing. You say, hey, let's play a game where there's a heist or let's play a game where you're in space and you're like searching out new technologies or let's play a game where you're a group of mercenaries trying to escape after a battle. And you build the... The, not the world, but certainly the pitch is that. 
that it's more about the feelings that you go to invoke from the game and the feel of the game and the the aesthetics of the world rather than say and we're going to be using this system interesting yeah so it kind of feels like if it kind of feels like if you go let's play in a game set in the league of legends world people will go i don't want to do that because league of legends sucks i mean league of legends is a fine game and but if you said i want to run a game where it's all steampunky and you know there's magic tech or hex tech and there's pirates in in one area that feels like it's much easier and then you go but it's going to be D. and then later on you come and go well he is the lord it's just league of legends you already know that yeah i mean that's great advice for for me three years ago like well go back and tell yourself <laughs> <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is that if you're starting to to run a game or you're looking to get into stuff, don't get bogged down too much on the law. Like, just get into the feel of what you want to do and um, and find it that way. Because honestly, watching this episode, I had no idea about any of the law. I didn't care about any of the law. I just thought this is a cool gang of street urchins who are on a heist. And something's gone wrong. It's like you were saying before about the trope, the cliches. Obviously, something's going to go wrong on the heist. You've got the big tough guy. You've got the guy who's good with his hands, but he's a total dick. You've got the fighter. You've got the the little tech girl and who's a bit of a, a albatross around their neck. And it just, they fit into the tropes immediately. And I already know how it's all going to pan out, but I want to see these characters in that situation. Yeah. Um, no, it's good advice for sure. Um, yeah. and I think, yeah, going back to one of the things we mentioned earlier, it it was a very like safe episode, um, yes. but still very entertaining and it's, yeah, yeah. Despite it kind of, there's a lot of cliches, but it, it works, you know, it kind of set up all the pieces. Yeah. I think you mentioned it before as well about like a lot of was on the characters and yeah. there's a lot of like a good characterization. Did that stop or did you stop talking? Oh, okay. Good. Okay. <laughs> it's just like, there's a lot of characterization. It just ended on like, well, was there more to that? No. Uh, yeah. I completely agree with that. Yeah. I completely agree with that. That there is, it's about getting you to fall in love with these characters and know who they are almost immediately. Um, so obviously later on when they start dying, I'm assuming some of them are going to die because it feels like that kind of show, you care more. Yeah, this is like Edge Runners all over again. It's just yeah, it's tragic, tragic animated yeah. shows. I, now, speaking of tragic animated shows, um, I'm just going to continue talking about this one because I went to the Ben Byrne from Ghostfire Gaming School of Segways. Um, I mentioned before how much I love that fight sequence in the alley with the street rats and the the chase sequence before it, where they're running and like it kind of jumps around all the different locations and they're throwing those little bolus things that are chasing after them. Really cool. But this fight scene, it felt much more visceral to me and much more real, like even though it was all animated. And I realized that because they were just using their fists, like someone only pulls a knife at the end and 
I was trying to work out how in a in D and D in particular, you're rarely going to be seeing a fist fight like this. Yes, um, and I think this is it. Breaks down like D and D is a is a combat mechanic game. Like there's a lot of mechanics that revolve around combat, but unarmed combat in particular is a little bit more. Well, I punch them. Well, I punch them again. Well, I punch them again. Yeah, and it's not this frenetic feeling of actually being in a brawl and being pushed down and getting wailed on by someone who then gets hit by a club from one of your allies. It feels like because I've got all these magical powers, I can just like slaughter anyone. There's not that feeling of, I guess, rough and tumble to it. Yeah. Well, what do you think would be, how would you try to replicate that feeling? I think just taking away weapons is a good start. I think a lot of the abilities in D&D revolve around the weapons. Like paladins in particular, they can't smite if they don't have a weapon. Um, makes the monk a hell of a lot more powerful. I think also the fact that it's not going... If you emphasize that it's not going to the kill. Okay, interesting. And I think also making it do more damage if they start describing what they do, because as the rule stands, you do an unarmed strike in D&D and it's one plus your strength modifier, unless you're like a, a monk or some other cool class. And it feels like if you go, okay, what I want to do is elbow him in the stomach and then punch him in the face with my second attack. Well, that's now descriptive. Now you've got like, you kind of know how the action's going rather than just, oh, I guess I hit him. Yeah, but is this just well, another I, one of those classic things of like you should just play a different system? I don't think it is. I think this is I think other systems wouldn't do it as well either. I am thinking about systems that are very heavily built around martial arts and something like um the Avatar the Last Airbender game. That has no rules for how the, the fighting occurs. It's just assumed that you do it, and then it's something else that you're rolling for. So again, all of it's in your mind. All of it is just the description, the flavor that you add to it. So I feel that D&D is just as good as a system for anything for using this. Okay. Um, I think in a similar vein... I mean, you're right. You're not wrong. I know. Um, I know. <laughs> I think, well, I think I would probably go even a little bit further. I would say maybe as a, like a divergent kind of approach, like you just take away a lot of stuff, right? Um, mm. And you, do, you don't do it like all the time. You probably wouldn't do this more than once even perhaps. But once your players are at a certain level and they're, they're comfortable with certain abilities and they're used to like, oh, I don't have to, you know, I've got rope trick or whatever. I don't have to worry about where we rest because we've just got a safe little hideout. Um, yeah. You know, you take away stuff, um, the stuff that yeah. they've gotten used to, and then it's almost not quite de-level them, but, you know, essentially you take away that stuff that they've gained over the levels and force them to rethink. Uh, and they, I think it's the the vulnerability that comes with that, I think, is really powerful. Yeah, when you put them in the anti-magic zone. Yeah. <laughs> they always love that. I recall there's a... Um... As a creature in the Explorer's Guide to Wildmount, 
that I believe it's called a reverser. When someone casts healing magic, it absorbs it and casts a spell back at them. Oh. And it it messes people up because you pair it with a couple of other creatures that do a lot of damage. Um, and they're like, oh, shit, we better heal him. And it's like, no, you won't. Have fun with that because I'm going to mess you up. <laughs> I think the, fu- the funny thing about something like that is like, obviously, you're the DM. You can just do that. But I feel like unless yeah. it's in a book, I would feel bad about it. Like, yeah, I'm like, no, it's, it's okay. Like Matthew Mercer came up with it. And so I'm allowed, mm-hmm. I'm allowed to do this. <laughs> I know, I'm the same, honestly. If it's not public, even if it's something like Cobalt Press, like it has to be Wizards of the Coast that's brought this out. Otherwise, I'm like, no, 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 no. It's just some fan's idea. Like, yeah, I could do that too. It's like, yeah, that's kind of the point. Everyone can do that. Have you ever like counterspelled a Revivify or something like that? No, by the time Revivify comes out, most of my spellcasts are dead. Um, as a game master, <laughs> like no one's casting Revivify in my combats, uh, to tell the truth. Uh, what about like a healing word to, to get someone up? Like, no, again, my casters are using um, shield most of the time. Healers. They're really, yeah, they're not, they're not trying to stop. They're just trying to survive in most of the games I'm playing. Because uh, they've had some barbarian just like suddenly grow 20 feet tall and start stomping on them. It's like, oh, I just want to live. I don't want to be. I don't want to be smooshed. Um, it's not super related, but we're just talking. I guess why start now? Honestly, evil DM things. <laughs> um, there is a super nasty combo. If, if anyone from my campaign is listening right now, stop listening. Um, Old of you to assume that we have more than five listeners, but okay, that could be all. Yeah, that could be all of them. Um. Have you heard about like it's the Starspawn Seer, I believe, and the Star? Oh yeah, I love the Starspawn Seer. Yeah, well, that's built in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for those explain of you for our know, listeners. Yes, essentially, is it the Mangler? No, it's the Hulk and the Seer, right? It's the Hulk and the Seer. Yeah. Um, basically, the Hulk has an ability where whenever it takes psychic damage. Uh, it doesn't take any damage, and instead, every creature within 10 feet of the Hulk takes that damage instead. Uh, and then the Seer does psychic damage. So it just mm-hmm. casts it on its ally. The ally takes zero damage. It all gets automatically directed to anyone next to the Hulk. There's no save. There's no roll. It's just unavoidable psychic damage in an AoE. Yeah. Psychic it's orb attack. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. One problem with it is keeping the Hulk alive long enough. Um, Because they generally immediately go, oh, that thing does a lot of damage because it's really big and it looks creepy. Let's kill it. Yeah. So when they focus fire and that thing doesn't last more than a turn or two, it's like, well... And then they turn their attention to the seer. It's like, well, I guess he's dead too. But it's a combo I've tried a couple of times. I quite enjoy it, honestly. It's a funny, like, uh, it's a scary moment, right? You want to give them a scary moment. Yeah. They're like, whoa, oh, yeah. shit, I can't. There's no save. I just take that. Yeah. Yeah. You just take it because it just expands out from this thing. It's very cool. So I like being able to cause damage. I think, again, that fear of what they thought they knew, what they thought were comfortable with, and now they're not. Uh, removing those elements of comfort that they already had by introducing something new in, whether it's counterspelling Revivify, whether it's 
an, a monster with an ability they've never seen before, whether it's um, removing their rope tricks. That creates that feel of that scrappy combat again, where they're actually struggling and trying to trying to keep things going. Yeah, and I think one of the difficulties, especially in a, in a longer form campaign, is knowing how to kind of space that out and not because I, I think it's easy to fall into that trap of like wanting to one up yourself a lot like oh i've got to i've got to raise the stakes like more and more and you have to you have to know when to yeah. like bring it down as well so that way when you do bring it back up like the stakes are uh, there again totally totally um i'm trying to think about anything else i wanted to talk about for this for this episode it's a lot of world building there's not it is a lot of like plot stuff yeah I don't think plot stuff is really necessary for this because this was to introduce people to the world, to pe- get people to go, hey, that looks interesting. I want to keep watching the next, the rest of the series. Soundtrack is awesome. Characters are awesome. That little moment with, um, well, it's just so telling about the characters when when Powder throws away their score so she gets out instead. I fully expected that to come up again later. Like somebody would find it randomly or they would go after it, but it just, they just like, it's gone. They just well, say it's gone. When Vander's like, come on, Clagger, what's the big guy's name? Clagger? 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 So like, come on, Clagger. You know, ne- I didn't I tell you, you never go to come back from a score empty handed. I thought they were going to go down and get it. Yeah. Like yeah, I thought he was fully, like, had someone just and it's just, there. it's fully lost. Yeah, and that I that's of the kind of D and D I'd want to run. There's a rule in Blades in the Dark that it does say be a fan of the characters and don't make them lose out when the score goes when when they score, give them the reward. Yeah, but in a situation like that, when they made the choice and things have gone completely wrong during the heist, if you miss out, you miss out. Yeah. So that's how it be yeah. sometimes, yeah. That's how it be sometimes. So yeah, I love that whole sequence. Basically, from the moment we meet them um, up on top of the rooftops, all the way through to again the rooftops at the end of the episode, or oh, not even the end of the episode. The um, pretty much up until when Silco's introduced, I was having a great time through the entire thing. All right, how do you feel about? Um, telling players stuff that their characters wouldn't know. In what regard? Like, well, I think I remember I was watching. It was one of the D twenty series, and I think it was one of the ones where Brennan wasn't playing. Uh, mm-hmm. Someone else was DMing. This is Dimension Twenty and Brennan Lee Mulligan Dimension for those. Brennan Lee Mulligan, yes. yeah. Because if you're this far into like the D and D podcast, if you're going down this far on all the charts, you haven't heard of Dimension Twenty yet. Absolutely. You know, I mean, Brennan Lee Mulligan, he's no Ben Byrne from Ghostfire Gaming. Yeah, he's not a, he's not a Matt Mercer or a, um, uh, what do you call it, Dan Harmon? <laughs> Dan Harmon? Not Matt yeah, from Community. Like, yeah. 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 Um, anyway, <laughs> it was one of those games, somebody else was GMing, and they described a, they, he like rolled a perception check equivalent to try and notice something, but he didn't notice something. And then the GM Ooh. described it anyway. And it's like, you don't notice this. And then described it. And it was like, it was like a, it was a scene building. It was tension building. It was like an ominous foreshadowing type thing. Um, but how do you feel about that? Cause I think that's kind of what the Silco 
Like, would you do mm-hmm. like an equivalent with that with the trying to introduce a big bad maybe? I think I would. I think I would in a couple of different ways. I think Infinite Dice, uh, I think it's Infinite Dice, um, in their Cyberpunk uh, 2077 game. I say 2077, like that means something. It's 20, it's Cyberpunk Red. They're running Cyberpunk Red. In their Cyberpunk Red game, they do something similar as well. It's like, you don't notice this, but this is what happened had you made the role. And I think partly that works really well in a live play or an actual play because the audience then gets to see it. And because these are actors, they can then usually go, well, I can easily pretend that I don't know that things. But I do like the idea of having something like Silco's introduction as a kind of a framing tool to to explain to the party, yes, there are other things going on around you in the world. And it would be at the end of a session, like at the end of the session, like maybe a cloaked figure does something sneaky, but have things occurring and describing things to them that they not there to see. Um, And basically, like, make it like a TV show. Yeah, I'm a really big fan of, like, yeah, other stuff happening in the world at the same time. Um, And I think, think unless... Sorry, you go. No, you go. We're both thinking. Our brains... I'm not. You're the... (laughs) the Oh, big brain. Sure, sure. Wait, I think... Did you just call me fat? What the fuck? (laughs) The Hulk Hulk has minus two intelligence. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm smart. Me smart, Hulk. Uh, I was going to say, um, it may not reflect on them, but it's kind of like the, it's the post credit scene. Yeah. And I think then it makes it for the players. So they get an idea of, yeah, our adventure was all shenanigans and fucking around, but here's a night, here's something to kind of bring it back onto track. Here's something that lets them know there's a, there's something afoot. I think it also really depends on obviously your players and how much they kind of deal with meta knowledge or how they deal with meta knowledge. Um, mm. And I think a way around that as well is instead of it having to be a thing that like no one knows about, you can have it just one person knows about it. So that way it's yeah. still kind of diegetic, but, uh, or you can like flip it and have like intentionally kind of misleading meta knowledge. So they think they're like, Oh, you know, they're trying to not think about it. But you actually want them Ooh. to think about it because, you know, DMing is all about manipulating people. Yeah, it really is. It's about making them think the way you want them to and do the ways that make your story work. I think another way I'd do it is something I'm seeing at the moment in Candela Obscura in um, in the, the Critical Role uh, new system that they're running. Yeah. And this is something that I've seen in Monster of the Week in a couple of other other games as well where the start of the session the dm kind of describes an event it's usually the monster attacking someone and it very much reminds me of the traditional cold opens on supernatural or buffy or um x files if we're going all the way back to when when a thief before a thief was born where you see the mon- well you don't see the monster you see an attack or you see the inciting incident that gets the characters involved. Like you'll see, oh, this guy got thrown down an elevator shaft by some invisible force. And then credits. And then you come to Scully and Mulder and they're hearing about that event. 
So I think yeah, that's another way the, that they pull up the Z files now. Z files, yeah, the Gen Z files. Yeah, sure. Okay. It, yeah. Oh my god. Why has no one actually done that before? Um but I like that way because it means you get them to s- a lot of the time, particularly in D&D, the first time the characters encounter something, they're probably going to kill it. Like yeah. You don't get to have that moment of, oh my gosh, look at this horrible thing and how scary it is because you just stabbed it with a sword and now it's dead. But if you can have that moment earlier and where they're not there, they can see, oh, this is a threat. This is why we're doing these things. And then they get to go out and find it and then they can do all this. Then they get to be the heroes kind of without that vulnerability that we talked about earlier. Yeah. No, I like that. It's uh it's it's something that obviously gets used a lot in kind of film and television, but it's difficult to translate into a tabletop game. Thankfully, we just told you a great way how. Yeah. Adam smashed that like button. Why? No, we're in a new, we're gonna find a new new catchphrase for this uh series. Um I didn't even Hex, tell you what. Check the- it out. Oh, <laughs> I, I didn't mind that one actually. Hex, check it out. <laughs> You're going to be the one saying it, so I'm fine with it. Um, I realized I didn't even go through the synopsis this episode. I'll do that on the next episode, I'm sure. Um, but unless, Afif, unless you got something else that you'd like to talk about this one, um, I think it might be time to wrap it up. I fun trivia. Um, oh yeah. Guy who All right. Milo. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, before you do this fun trivia, have you got one for every episode of the series? No. <laughs> okay, then we are going to do it because I've got some fun trivia for the next one. Oh, sure. Okay, fun trivia. Milo, uh, the guy that voices yeah, guy Milo. Who voices Milo is uh, a very prominent voice actor, Yuri Lowenthal. Um, yes. And he does the voice of Spider-Man in the Spider-Man video games. Spider-Man, Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Haley Steinfeld obviously does Gwen Stacy in Spider-Man. Yep. And there is going to be another. There's going to be another um, Spider-Man connection, uh, but we'll get to that on the next episode, because uh, it has come time for us to pick the um, the person who got the crit hit or the crit fail in this week's episode of Arcane. This is someone who, well, maybe either succeeded when they shouldn't uh, or failed horribly. Um, and now, Afif, as being the new guest on the podcast. I thought I'd go first to show you how it's done. Sure. Um, and I'm going to give a crit fail uh, this time to uh, Mouser Powder's little invention that does not go off, doesn't explode at all, and basically gets her caught uh, and has to give up the, the score. Uh, and that's a crit fail. That's a strong crit fail. I'm not going to give a crit fail to Powder. That wasn't Powder's fault. She didn't do anything wrong. But Mouser, fuck you. Uh, hard disagree. Justice for Mouser. <laughs> uh, uh, that means you. It's your turn. <laughs> but he's he's uh, the I one mean, rolling, not her. Sure. Um, I think in in a liability case, I think the the spellcaster who summoned the familiar is still liable. That's fair. Um, Powder's got a lot of crit fails, I feel like. Yeah, Powder's going to have a lot of crit fails. I figured that's why why I actually went for Mouser, because I feel like I'm going to have to use a few a few crit fails for Powder. Uh, I don't know if there were any, like, big 
crit successes. Not really. Um, there's like uh, there's like middling successes. I don't know about like critical ones. You know, Silco's got some sweet charisma, obviously. Yep. Uh, I think escaping. I'll say maybe like escaping the the Piltover forces. It's pretty successful. Yeah. Like you wouldn't expect that too, right? You know. Oh, honestly, I, I feel that there were some moments where they rolled pretty well. I feel that they did get a crit success to make it finish without like any other complications going wrong for them. Like, there's a reason the Gutty Master threw those That's punks yeah. at them at the end because it's like, oh shit, you've already. Oh, yeah. I meant to. I had an encounter planned where they fought the cops and. <laughs> yeah. So I guess I'll just take their weapons off. I'm all right, cool. They're fighting them now. You tell those punks at the end are so generic looking as well. Like they all just look the same. Yeah. It's just a, the same bandit stat block, copy pasted. I honestly thought there were only two of them, and then suddenly the fight broke out, and there's like five. I'm like, oh, oh, there's more of them. All right, cool. I guess that that's fair. Now there's there's someone for everyone. Yeah, uh, low CR, so you had to bring in some more. Such a such a low CR. But again, I like that because the um the party had kind of used up all of their abilities getting away from getting in and then getting away so what could have been a walkover at this point of the adventure was actually a challenge or felt like or looked like a challenge yeah, for a little it's bit like a resource management yeah thing. yeah yeah because D at the end of the day is resource management game um so on the other topic of D&D, uh, we are brought to you by Masters of Alchemy, the premier game mastering service in Melbourne. Um, we are both contractors in Masters of Alchemy. You can come down to Fortress Emporium on Sundays and play games with us if you really want to, um, or you can head over to mastersofalchemy.au uh, to check us out uh, there as well. Uh, you can leave reviews for this podcast, wherever podcasts are found, all the cool places where the kids hang out. Um, you know, Spotify and other places, podcast apps, those places. You can leave reviews in app, I hear you. Uh, and that helps us get out to more listeners, which is the best way. Or tell your friends to listen. That's a good way as well. Uh, we thank you so much for listening. There's a couple of other ways to get in touch with us. There is dnd and TV um, at gmail.com, where that's the email address. Or there's at dnd and TVPOD, which is the Instagram and Threads account. Trying to get on Blue Sky. If anyone's got an invite code, send it to me. That'd be great. I'd really appreciate that because X is a shit show and has been for years. Um, if, if you are not on the internet, are you? Well, what's the internet? What is the it? internet. Yeah, that's what I thought. It's a series of tubes. Oh, from what like, I hear, like like Piltover. Yeah, like Piltover. Yeah. Oh my god! I just realized why it's called Piltover. It's because it's built over the other one, isn't it? So clever. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Stay safe. Be kind to yourselves. May all your hits be crits. And what was it? Hex. Hex, check it out. Hex, check it out.
This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. Always was, always will be. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging.